Well, we're going to do uh, conversations with Pastor tonight. I'm just getting my notes out. Let me get my little duckies in a row. I brought my computer in case I need it. If you try to stump me, I'll go find it on there. Answer. So, uh, if you got questions, I have a bunch of people have sent in. So, I'm going to start with these. And uh, then, if I get through, I try not to go too long. I could, you know, sometimes I go long. I'm trying to do small uh, answers. So, here we go. And uh, if you got questions about anything about your spiritual life, the Bible, your walk with God, then uh, think about it. And as we get to the end, we may or may not have time, but. If we do, have them ready. Y'all good? Y'all good? Y'all ready for this? So, Lord, minister life to us. Sometimes we just need to just kind of kick back and slow it down a bit and, and, and let you minister life. Let that happen in this meeting. Let the Spirit of God flow and uh, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your Son. And help us to see who we are in the light of his sacrifice. And we we commit this to you in Jesus' name. All right. Well, here we are. Here's a Bible question to uh, jump right off from the start. Um, oh, let's see. So Leviticus 27, 29, no person specially set apart for destruction. Boy, that sounds... Uh, um, actually, the King James Version says this, no person, set up, uh, no, no, no person under the ban. I don't know what translation. I didn't look it up. Uh, this one says, set apart for destruction may be brought back. Such a person must be put to death. That's interesting, isn't it? What is that all about? Uh, and then Judges 11, 20 through 39, 29 through 39 is the story of Jephthah and his daughter whom he gave as a, a burnt offering. So Jephthah, you know, he said, God, basically, if you go read Judges 11, 29 through 39, how many know Judges was a time where everybody did was right in his own eyes anyway? And so uh, um, Jephthah was one of the judges in Judges, and uh, he made a rash vow, which was really probably not a smart thing for him to do. But uh, he basically said, God, I tell you, here's, here's the skinny. If you, will, uh, if you will give me victory over my enemies as we go out and fight this battle, I tell you what, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll devote to you as a sacrifice. I'll slay it as a sacrifice. Now, what you don't know in that culture, they had animals in the house with them. So he just figured an animal will come out, he'll slay the animal. Well, guess what happened? He went out to the battle, fought the battle. Uh, they, they kicked those guys. They whipped them big. He come back home. He went and got in his yard, and guess who came out of the house? His daughter did. His only daughter. His only child said, oh, no. He made a rash vow. He said, what in the world am I going to do? So uh, anyway, um, Bible scholars wonder what happened. Did he really... Did he, did he sacrifice his daughter? So she basically took a few days, went out to see her friends, grieved because she, she will uh, never have children. And, um, you know, she's going to be a virgin lifelong, never get married. And uh, so some Bible, Bible scholars say that, you know, uh, she was uh, celibate all of her life. Others say that Jephthah actually uh, slayed her in sacrifice. So I looked this up. I've got several commentaries, a Bible knowledge commentary, for instance. Um, also the, although the Mosaic law expressly prohibits human sacrifice. So the question here was, God allows human sacrifices. Let me back up before I even go to Bible knowledge commentary and say, you know, if you go to Leviticus 27, there are things that were dedicated to God. And when, uh, for instance, the firstborn um, uh, animal or child was dedicated to God and they were consecrated to him. They had to do what, what God said to do with them. And, and, then, and then also, this is really odd and you got to be careful preaching this one, but the tithe was, was consecrated to God and you don't touch what's consecrated to God. You get it? And so this vow thing that he made in Judges 11 is similar to what you read about in Leviticus 27. It was under the ban or um, the Hebrew word there is cherem, kerem, which, uh, or herem, I think is the way you pronounce it, which simply means once that thing's devoted, you can't renege on it. It's got it's to be devoted to what it was sent to if it's devoted to God. It becomes holy to the Lord. And so when Jephthah did that, it's like, hmm, he shouldn't have done that. He just, he just messed up his daughter for the rest of her life. So the commentators basically say most of them agree that he did not kill his daughter and so God is not for human sacrifices. In fact, this Bible knowledge commentary, Leviticus 18, 21, 22 through 5, Deuteronomy 12, 31, and 1810. I know I'm not expecting you to remember all that. Um, uh, all say that God says don't, 
don't, don't give your children in sacrifice and don't sacrifice a human. So, so that was against the law. Jephthah knew that. So most Bible scholars, I've got another uh, Dake study Bible here, another study Bible here, both. And other commentators I looked at most agree that uh, he did not kill his daughter, but she was celibate the rest of her life, never got married. So he never had grandchildren, and it never extended his family. So uh, it's all because of his rash vow. What's the moral of that? Don't make rash vows. You know, be wise and smart. So anyway, that's the answer to that one. Here's another question. Um, and this says, my question for you is, how can the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the master deceiver, the murderer of all murderers, well, that's a lot of names for the devil, uh, come out of being uh, perfectly created by the great I am, the perfect and loving God uh, of all the perfect father. How is it possible that Lucifer created in perfect perfection, holiness, surrounded by purity, became Satan in heaven, where no evil is present? That's, a, that's a, a good question that a lot of people have asked. Does this mean that when we go to heaven, there will, still, uh, there will still be the ability to choose right from wrong? And how is it that we see in the word not only Lucifer being created in perfection, but also Adam and Eve coming straight from perfection, yet choosing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life? We say it was their choice, but if a parent raises their children in the rays of God and the children choose a different path, then it's said that it's the parent's fault. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, bottom line with this is um, if you go to Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 are the classic scriptures that talk about Satan's fall. Ezekiel 28, uh, there's a law of double reference. There's a king of Tyre that uh, is spoken of the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 28. Then verse 11 on down. Uh, through uh, midways of the chapter or so, uh, that there's, he's talking about somebody behind the king of Tyre. And most Bible scholars agree he's talking about Satan. He's full of beauty. He's perfect in beauty. He's full of wisdom. He had something to do with the protection of the throne of God. He also had something to do, many believe, with, uh, with uh, the leading of worship in heaven. He had pipes that would make music uh, that were in him from the day he was created. And the, and the underlying factor was he was the most perfect, most beautiful of all of God's creatures that he created. He is, an, a, created, he is a created person, uh, so he's nothing to be compared to God. But it says in uh, Ezekiel twenty-eight fifteen, iniquity was found in him. So, so how can God create, the question is how can God create something that's absolutely perfect, pristine, pure, you know, such as Satan, and then such as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how, th how can they corrupt themselves and so hinder God's purposes and plans and thwart the plan of God and just mess up the earth? How, how could that happen? Certainly. Well, what you got to know is that uh, there was no iniquity in Satan when he was created. He was Lucifer. Lucifer means bright one. Um, in fact, Jesus playing on those words in Luke... Uh, uh, 10 said, I, I beheld um, Satan as lightning fall from heaven, playing on that word Lucifer uh, for him. And uh, so how did that happen? Well, he was lifted up because of his beauty and he got to looking in the mirror too much and saw he was so beautiful. And then he thought he was just so smart he would give other people answers to questions and stuff. And he said, you know, that's just really smart. You're really good. And he, he, uh, he was full of himself. And iniquity was found in him. One person years ago when I was a young believer said that perhaps God gave him, an, and I don't know that this is true, this is conjecture at best, that maybe God gave him a limited piece of his, of his creative ability and he created iniquity. Anyway, it was found in him. What, what, you, what you can't say is that God placed iniquity in Lucifer when he was created. That didn't happen. And God didn't place sin in Adam and Eve before they sinned. No, what did God place in them? God placed in both Lucifer, perhaps, and in, and I'm, I'm assuming in the angels of heaven as well, and as well as in Adam and Eve, uh, a volition, a will. And God holds the will inviolate. That is, he will, God will never, ever transgress a human will, or I would assume even the will of an angel. God doesn't do that. He's not that kind of person. There's something about the will when God created creation that he holds so special that he will never transgress it. And it's something that he lets you and you alone control. And so he did that. And why does he do that? And I mentioned this a few Sundays ago. It's because he wants us to love him, not because we have to, but because we want to. Otherwise, we'd be robots. 
and, and you know, there's just not a lot of fun. You know, if Susan was a robot, it not, wouldn't be a lot of fun kissing her. But because she wants to kiss me back, I kind of like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, <laughs> so we're all like that. You know, you, and your children are the same way. You just want your grandchildren, your children. I, we got eight grandchildren, man. I love for them to come and hug my, they hug my knee, my leg, my calf, because I'm so tall. I just say, that's so cool. I pick them up, hug them. It's like, man, this is, this is great. But what if they had to come here, Papa, let me hug you? Oh, come on. That's not even fun sounding. So God did that with us when he created us. So uh, again, uh, obviously, that happened with uh, Lucifer. He had a will. And then, you know, here's a, to add to the point one, one further step. If you go look at the verbiage there, verses uh, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16 of Ezekiel 28. Um, he slandered God. Uh, Lucifer slandered God before the other angels, basically saying, I can do what God does, but I promise you I can do it better. I'm smarter, wiser. He thinks he's the big dog. I can show him a thing or two. Just watch me. Go, go look at it. Isaiah 14, and it's pretty clear that uh, he had an eye problem. He had a personal problem and set on on. Pride. So, you know, that's why all of us need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, right? And, and the biggest problem you and I have is pride. Personal pride gets you into trouble in your marriage, gets you into trouble on the job, gets you into trouble in your relationships. Is that true? Gets you in trouble sometimes in overspending, and we just we talk a lot about it, couldn't we? So it got him in a lot of trouble. I've got, a, I've got all kinds of... Um, commentators that I just happened to put in my notes here about that, that I happened to look up. Let me just look at some of these. Uh, uh, I've, got a, I've got a really cool commentary, ancient Christian commentary on Scripture, and, and they go to the early church fathers. Here's one, Cyril of Jerusalem, the chief author, he says, the chief author of sin then is the devil, the author of all evil. Not I, but the Lord, he said, the devil sins from the beginning. Uh, before him, no one sinned, nor did he sin because by nature he was of necessity prone to sin, or else the responsibility of sin would reflect on him who created him in this way. But after being created good or perfect, he would say, uh, he became a devil by his own free choice. So he mentions that. And the other ones, I've got another guy, John of Damascus, one of the angel powers. He says, a marshal of one host bore in himself no trace of natural evil from the maker's hand. He says it again but had been created for good, yet by his own free, free and deliberate choice, he turned aside from good to evil. And most of them say that, and that, that's correct, that he, he turned himself. God not, is not responsible for that. So, you know, let's talk about children for a minute, because this person mentioned, well, if you raise your children right, certainly they're going to walk with God. Well, you know, generally that's true, but, but there's a lot of mitigating factors when you're raising children. Susan, I have four children that we train you know you raise a crop of corn you raise peas we train children yeah okay so you know and uh so child training is kind of a it's a it's it's an art and um and we you know we're imperfect and none of us do it perfect and if you have children and you're grown or your children are grown and and my child all four of my children grow married and we got eight grandchildren so you know susan and i did the best we knew with what we had would you say that's true susan uh were we perfect was i perfect i wasn't I was going to say you were perfect. No, neither one of us were. So, you know, uh, but you do your best. And, uh, and you know, m most generally, if you'll do it right and, and have the right attitudes and don't force. Here's the issue with Christian parents today. They try to force what they know is right on their children. And, and part of the maturation process for all of us is, is you've got to learn how distinct your belief system is and, and, uh, from your parents. So, so somewhere in the teenage years, there, there comes a change, and you have to change. If you're an authoritarian uh, in their teenage years with your children the way you were in their single-digit years, you are going to have trouble. Is that true? You, you can't be authoritarian. And I see too many Christian parents, well, now this is what the Bible says. Well, you got to do that. Well, you know, uh, yes, I understand what you're doing and why you're saying that. But you've got to start giving some leeway for that willpower in your child to make choices that are right. And in things that won't kill them, that won't defame them, that won't mar their body forever. 
You know, find ways that you can let them make choices on their own. And then start having conversations about God, Jesus, the Bible, church, why you do what you do, why you think the way you think. And then to let them ask all the antagonizing questions. There's nothing wrong with that. If you don't do that and you stuff it down their throat, they turn 18. I'll tell you right now, I ain't going back to church. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to party. And so they go off to college and that's what happens. Yes or no? Let's get real. So got to be careful. So, so is it the parents' fault? Well, you know, I'm not going to go there. You know, train up, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way she go when he's old and won't depart from it. And that's what the scripture says. Or actually, the Hebrew says, train up a child in the mouth of his way. And the idea, you know, when, when <laughs> let me say, when my little brother was little, my mom would open a jar of baby food and stick her little finger and just stick her little finger right in the top of his roof of his mouth. First time she did it with some ham, uh, I thought he was going to throw up on all of us. But, you know, you can put some vegetables, and, and uh, I used to eat the baby food my brother had. It was uh, blueberry buckle. That was really good baby food. I grabbed a jar where my mom wasn't looking. I was 11. Anyway, you train up a child in the mouth of his way. That's the, You put in them the way they're supposed to go, Scripture says, when the older won't depart from it. My children, all of them would come back and say, Daddy, thank you. We thought you were tough at times, but thank you for training us right. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. for. At the time, they're antagonistic. At the time, they can't figure out why you're doing what you're doing. But, you know, if you have a child that's going to stray, you've got to quit blaming yourself. At some point, they're responsible for their life. Once my children turned 18 and were responsible to make their own choices, then, then that's where my responsibility ends, except to pray for them, be a friend to them, and be there for them. But my responsibility for their life, they're responsible for their life. And you've got to cut the tie somewhere or you create codependency and, and dependency on you that oh, it, it can mess up a life. We've got a lot of that stuff going on today. Yes or no? So we could really talk about child training tonight, couldn't we? Wow. Anyway. So anyway, that was a, a question. Here's another one. Could you address, oh boy, y'all ready for this one? Here we go. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've talked about it in fair detail. So here we are. Everybody good? Y'all just quiet tonight. Could you address the growing number of people who are concerned about family and friends or even themselves after giving, getting the COVID vaccine? Now, there we go. That's a can right there to open up, isn't it? Uh, things have been so polarized and people have had strong opinions for or against the vaccine. Now, is that true? Yes. Uh, however, as more information comes to light, and data is collected, I think there will be many uh, people with buyer's remorse, so to speak, and those with deep concern for family members who have had the injections, that is the COVID-19, uh, uh, well, actually they call it vaccines. It's not a vaccine. What do you call it? What? Experimental use. Emergency youth author, so the government has provided an emergency use authorization for a, 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 what do you call it, clinical trial uh, called the COVID-19 shots. Yes or no? That is correct. That is not a legitimate vaccine. But see, the way they're talking about it, everybody needs it because it's really great, wonderful, great, and everybody's got an opinion about this. So they're saying a lot of people may have buyer's remorse because they could have challenges as time goes on with the vaccines. And it says, I would love suggestions on a specific way to pray and believe for these scenarios. Also, I feel a sense of hesitation and awkwardness of sharing information about COVID vaccines with those who have already had the shot. Uh, seems like it's criticizing their decision or possibly creating excessive fear and anxiety in them. Now, those are valid, those are valid ideas there. I do think it would at least cause more of a hesitation for any future vaccines or boosters than will probably be promoted. So, uh, so here's the deal with the COVID vaccine. Now, you've heard I've talked about this several times. And um, March 14th, I think at 13th, 14th, God gave me the word nefarious. I was minding my business. COVID hadn't even hardly started. Shutdown started March 15th in um, North Carolina, I've talked about this a good bit, and I don't want to talk about it a lot tonight. So anyway, um, God gave me the word nefarious for COVID, letting me know that there's more there than is meeting the eye, and there's something going on there. 
And then here we are, what is it, 16, 17 months later, and it is what it is now, and, um, and now it's a polarizing issue. Now, here's the problems I have, and I've talked about this in fair detail. I have a, a sheet that I, I've passed out several times this summer, starting with June the 2nd. I, re- I didn't say anything about it until June 2nd, but here's what I've noticed. In my research, I found that people were having problems with uh, COVID-19 vaccination shots, Okay. And people were having reactions. The reactions are not being talked about online. Have you noticed? You can hardly find any information unless you know where to look. I know where to look. So I've watched videos. I've read articles about the uh, reactions. Uh, what's the guitar player? Well known. 76 years old. Eric Clapton. In fact, you can go to YouTube and just type in Eric Clapton covid He's got about an eight or nine minute video. It may have a longer one now. He got two of the shots there and he lives in London and he had some serious side effects and he's encouraging people to go research before they do it. And he didn't care if anybody knows he's saying that because of the trouble he had. So I'm just saying that and there, that's, the, that's the issue. People are having problems. Nobody's talking about it. Here's the issues I have. In my past, living in the United States, a free culture, we've always had freedom of expression, yes or no? We have freedom of speech. Well, something's curtailed freedom of speech this last, this last year and a half. Yes or no? I, I've never seen this before. So now, if you put certain things on Facebook, YouTube, other places, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, and it doesn't fit the common um, verbiage that uh, certain people want you to, to say, then it gets taken off. And then you, get, you can have your account suspended. Yes or no? Okay, so, so to me, that's a red flag. Why, okay, if somebody's telling me the truth, why can't you allow everybody to say anything they want to say? Because that's what truth does. But if you're, but if you're show, t- talking piecemeal and you're not saying everything, then there could be a problem with others giving their opinion. So I have, I, have, um, I don't want to exaggerate, I've probably watched in excess of 25 videos. Uh, and that's, uh, I think I could say more, but I'll be conservative and say that. Of medical doctors from around the world, not just Americans, from around the world and other nations, uh, who are much, much smarter than I. And they've talked about uh, the science, science behind vaccines and what they do and don't do. And then the COVID-19. Now, you know, you can't find that. So I put out a sheet and said, you know, everybody, everybody's got an opinion. Do your own research. Make your choices, right? So I'm not the person as a pastor that can tell you whether or not you should take the COVID-19 shot. We have people in our church that have. I've talked to them. I'm cool with you as long as you're cool with me, you know. But uh, I'm, I am concerned, and I put that paper out June the 2nd, uh, and the paper has some uh, a QR code on it for those that don't know. Um, and, and uh, have hyperlinks online. So the QR code on the paper, click it with your phone, click. You go to my June the 2nd document online, Wednesday night. And then the, uh, you have hyperlinks that take you to article, articles and videos about COVID-19 that you won't find on, they won't put it on Facebook, won't put it on YouTube, won't put it on Instagram. You can't. It's banned. So uh, anyway, I just wanted people to know. And because if anybody had a problem with the vaccine, I, would, I just don't think I can live with myself. If I had even one person come to me, why didn't you say anything? I can't handle that. Does that make sense? I, I'm a, a conscientious person, and I'm conscionable. I, I listen to my conscience. And my conscience tells me if I know to do good and I don't do it, it's wrong. Is that correct? So for me, the best thing I felt like I could do was put something out and let people make their own decisions. So again, if you've taken the vaccine, you know, there are some challenges and not everybody has them. And, um, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. And I don't want to get into the weeds as much as I already have. So, you know, there's reasons that some people do and some people don't have reactions. Some people have minor. Some people have major. Some people have died. They're estimating that there are thousands that have really died from the vaccine, but they can't be investigated. So you can't, you don't have any facts. Does that make sense? So don't let that scare the bejeebies out of you if you have gotten the vaccine. 
trust God. So with this whole thing, I mean, I've never had a flu vaccine in my life, but not everybody can say that. I know my life is probably a little bit different because I have chosen with my faith to trust God for the healing of my physical body. But I've had to pay a deep price to do that. I'm talking I paid price meditating on the word. I've, I've, I've paid the price in exercising my faith in minor small things that won't kill me. You get it? And so I've done that for a long time. So I can't expect other people to live with the kind of, kind of belief system I have unless they've paid the price to do the things I've done. Right? So I'm cool with anybody who wants to take a flu shot, whatever. That's you. But see, I know me, but I don't want anybody to force me to do something that's against my conscience. And that's where we are right now with this. And that's where we're getting into totalitarianism. The reason, there's two reasons I talk about this, because I want people to know both sides of the equation with the vaccines. That's important to me because I have information and I have knowledge. And if I have knowledge, I feel a responsibility to share it. And secondly, secondly, and I've shared this, uh, the second reason that I've talked about these things is um, uh, I, I see a pattern here. This system can easily be used, if you know Scripture, by the Antichrist to control. And now the nations of the world and the leaders of the world have figured out a way to control uh, travel, finance, uh, business, commerce, you know, uh, churches, <laughs> free speech, uh, assemblies. Wow, people. And it's happening in various ways worldwide. So I, that's a real concern of mine. I do think we could be living in the era of time. It could straighten up and everything's wonderful. We've got another bunch of years left. But it could be that we're really close to Jesus coming back. So if that's the case, then this is a, a shoe-in, a hand-in-glove scenario of something the Antichrist could easily use to control people, and I may get into it later when you, you go back and look at Revelation 13, Revelation 14, and the mark. Somebody ask a question, I'll get that later. Does that make sense? So somebody asked, so um, uh, su- suggestions on specific ways to pray and believe for people that have, for instance, taken the injection, what do you do? Um, well, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, what do you do with people that don't understand? Well, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that don't believe the gospel to be safe. So he can also blind your mind and, 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 um, and keep you from facts with respect to anything. Is that true? So I would say pray for people. Say, Satan, take your hands off people's minds. And if it's family members, friends, take your hands off them in Jesus' name and help them to understand the whole scenario of what's happening here. And maybe you don't understand it yourself. Lord, help me to see, right? And, and I pray that way for me. Then Mark 16, 18, uh, this person mentioned, might be a good way to pray, which I agree, you know, perhaps... Uh, you know, he's talking about those that believe in the name of Jesus will exercise authority over the devil. It says they'll, they'll exercise authority over Satan. And then it says uh, they will uh, uh, drink any deadly thing and it won't hurt them. Now, now, maybe that could work. Say, Father, I know some people get coerced into take, taking maybe the shot against the will. Others say, well, I think I need it. And then maybe later on, well, I'm not so sure. And maybe you take, I don't know. You know, whether you've taken it or not, trust God where you're at right now. How many hear what I'm saying? And, and regardless of what you hear, trust God that he's going to take care of you. If you start having questions and you took a shot, well, Lord, take care of me. But what you don't want to do is live in fear. Because the fear of man brings a snare. I, I'm not going to live in fear. So don't live in fear. And then Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be shown to be wrong. I think it's an excellent way to pray. And, and so just, just ask God to help. You know, I just, I pray for people and, you know, we have people again in our church that have taken the shot. And, um, you know, I, uh, I pray. I pray for me. I pray for them. But what you don't want to do is fuss with people. And get your underwear in a wad about it. You know, that's what people, you know. Just, just you know, love people where they're at. And uh, just because somebody believes something forcefully or maybe you believe something forcefully, don't cram it down somebody else's throat. Is that, can, that's never, is that ever the Holy Spirit to do that? Okay. Is that enough said? Uh, here's another question. My question is, why do many pastors say that all, we are all sinners? I know that we are all sin and fall short, but sinners won't be with the righteous, which is what we are through Christ. There are many scriptures uh, that talk about the fate of sinners. How can we be sinners and children of God at the same time is the idea. Uh, to my understanding, sinners die and go to hell. 
are we sinners or are we not? So, you know, um, when I was, I was a boy, I was in a denominational church, and here was, I heard this hundreds of times, maybe thousands, because I was there 18 years. Um, we're all sinners saved by grace. Uh, that was a common, you know, uh, phrase. We're sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. So, you know, uh, while it is true, I, and so here's what I take. Here's now that I know Jesus. Here's how I take that. Well, I was a sinner. I got saved by grace. And because I'm saved by God's grace and by Jesus' sacrifice, I've been made the righteousness of God in him. See, that's the way it is. So um, the problem today is, honestly, in the church world as a whole, particularly in the Western world, particularly in America, we've dumbed down the gospel so bad. And most people don't even know they're sinners because you don't hear that. And now, not because everybody's got to be kind of stroked really, really nice. All, all kids got, got, to, got to build up their self-esteem. You sure shouldn't tell people they're wrong. Well, you better if they are because they might go to the wrong place. So we have some real problems in America. This politically correct speech has run amok. And now people have no conscience towards God. And that's a big problem. Would you agree or disagree? You can disagree with me. I'm just saying I think we need to, people need to know that they're sinners. I mean, listen, again, I'm in the 60s. I was born in 58. In the 60s, I'm a single-digit kid. But Billy Graham's coming on the television and preaching the gospel at 7 p.m. Night, at night on ABC, NBC, CBS, yada, yada. You get it? I mean, it's a different era of the world then. And we had stadiums filled with 60,000, 70,000 people. Uh, and you, say, you have hundreds and thousands of people coming to Jesus, and I see it on TV. Now, that did something to me as a kid. We don't even have the same world today. You get it? So, so now, I mean, he could never do now what he did then. Would you agree? And so the same kind of gospel is not being preached. And people need to know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So people don't want Jesus because they don't know they're sick. They don't know they have a problem with sin, right? So anyway, no, uh, uh, I could say a lot about that. So we are not sinners. Once we come to Jesus, we become the righteousness of God in him. However, you don't, you want to belabor, you don't want to belabor the point so far that people don't see their need for salvation. And that's a problem today. So 1 Corinthians 1.30, new uh, the King James, but of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So again, Jesus is our righteousness. Here's another when this person says, I have a, a burning question. So many things the Father said is in his word to do always at all times in uh, quotations without ceasing. I'm just wondering what does it look like to be faithful and obedient to these instructions while at the same time not violating rest, loving our families and neighbors, being diligent in our jobs. Does that make sense? So I think the question you could rearrange say, well, well, how can I obey God? Man, if I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing, if I'm supposed to be after God all the time, have I got time to work? Have I got to, how do I have time to cook eggs for my kids in the morning? Uh, how, how do I have time just to kind of sit on the porch with my husband or wife? How do I have time to do normal things in life? You do. And so, you know, generally speaking, here's the way we are, if you have an overbearing personality, a perfectionistic twinge in everything in your life, you dot your I's, you cross your T's, you do everything just right, give yourself a stinking break. Yes or no? All of us need to do that. I, I have perfectionistic twinges in me, um, and you think a certain way if you're that way, and you're, you want to be very... You, you, you're almost too conscientious for your own good. So I say take a break. And you know what I found out? We should always have an attitude towards God. You know, if you're thinking about him in the context of conversing with your friend or, or exercising or cooking or you're having a meal at a restaurant or, or working hard in the office and you're on the phone, if you, if you consciously are in the, uh, aware that you're in fellowship with God, that is what he's looking for. How many understand that? So whether it's praying without ceasing, well, you have an attitude of prayer. Or whether it's, you know, always, you know, sharing the gospel, you should always be a witness. Well, you'll witness with your lifestyle. I can witness, I guess, by the way I brush my teeth for crying out loud, you know, or, or whatever I'm doing, you know. Just uh, involve God in the daily routine of life and be very practical about it. Does that make sense?
So here's some other, some, everybody okay? Y'all just real quiet. Everybody okay, really? Okay. So this, here's one. Um, okay, I got four major, four questions all on marriage. Here we go. When someone has biblical grounds for divorce and pursues that, at what point are they free from their spouse? Oh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? To, uh, some people think that God never condones divorce. You know he does. Did you know there are times that God says divorce is right here? Some people won't even admit that. Come on, give me a break. Two reasons in the Bible. Number one, infidelity, adultery, okay? Uh, so if, if your spouse has committed unrepentant adultery and they ain't about ready to change, then that's, that's grounds for divorce. Yes or no? Thank you. The second reason is desertion by the unbelieving party. And without going into the weeds on this completely, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 15, is very clear, particularly verses 12 through 15. You've got a person who knows the Lord married to a person who says they know the Lord. Okay, so two scenarios. A person who doesn't know the Lord, but then they act like they don't know the Lord. And they're abusive. They're hurtful. They physically are physically abusive. They're emotionally, mentally abusive. It's really hard to define emotional slash mental abuse. Everybody has their own toleration levels for that. And all of us receive mental slash emotional abuse from others a lot. Would you agree with that? So where do you cross the line and that being intolerable is the question. That's a, that's a big question. So God does condone divorce, divorce for desertion by the unbelieving party. That is, the unbelieving party could be a person who doesn't know the Lord or as it is in our day, people who say they know the Lord but they never act like they do. Have you ever met a person like that? Have you ever lived with a person like that? That's really hard to do. So this person, again, the question is, someone has biblical grounds for divorce, I just mentioned them, and pursues that at what point are they free from their spouse? Well, here's the issue. Here's the skinny. And so let me ask, so there's another one. I think both of these can be answered at the same time. Does divorce occur when a judge signs a document or for, or for the Christians when one breaks the bonds of marriage or infidelity? When does divorce occur? I think it's the question. And here's the question again, if biblical if the biblical ground for infidelity, if the biblical ground for divorce is infidelity, does divorce occur when infidelity occurs or are Christians supposed to follow the laws of the land and they're not divorced until a document's signed? Hmm. Okay, so you get the question? So the question is, when does the divorce happen? Well, Jesus said, Matthew uh, 19, verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, he said to the Jewish people, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, gave you, uh, gave you the laws of divorce. That's Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. I'm not going to read them. Go read them yourself. Moses said and basically told the Old Testament believers, you can divorce your spouse for these reasons, blah, blah, blah. Jesus, in commenting on that, said divorce is always because of the hardness of the heart, at least on one party. And let me say this, when divorce occurs... Um, you know, anytime you got a problem in the marriage, both people have issues they need to deal with. Yes or no? If all you do is point your finger at your spouse, you need to point, crook that finger around and point it at you a little bit. Right? Each person should give 100%. You know, I'm not a perfect husband. Susan said it. She's not a perfect wife, but I treat her like she's a perfect wife. Okay. So, but, but so if you're having problems, both of you got to deal with it and, you know, pony up, be responsible. So, so, so what about the divorce? When does the divorce occur? So it's true if somebody, for instance, committed infidelity, adultery, um, when they do that inside of them, they broke that marriage contract inside them. Yes or no? That's true. They did it. And then in their heart, they separated themselves from the person that they stood before somebody and said, till death do us part. And, and they, they didn't do it. So when the, does, the, does the divorce occur spiritually? Probably when the event occurred that separated them on the inside. But then should the person then, if it's spiritually already happened, should the person act like they're divorced? No. No, you act like you're married in America until you got a signed document saying you're not. Everybody get that? 
Now, you know, I've had family members get divorced and, and all that and people close to me, people that I know. And uh, it hurts. Divorce, number one, it hurts. It hurts the person deeply. And they're innocent victims of divorce, yes or no? I've had so many people talk to me over the years and said, I didn't want this. I wish that person hadn't done this. I still love them, but they don't love me. And I don't like it. And I don't want it to happen. Well, that's really sad and that's hard to deal with. And that's where you have to take your heart to God, your emotions to God, your mind to God. Say, Lord, I hurt. Heal my hurt. Right? And, and only he can do that. And, and you got to forgive the offending person. You may still love them, but if they don't love you back, what are you going to do? You're kind of stuck, right? That's a really hard, and a lot of people are that way. So what are you going to do? At some point, you got to say, God, this hurts me. Heal my hurt and help me move on with life. Right? And so the divorce occurs spiritually, sure, but you don't, you don't date and you don't do anything with the opposite sex. You get it? You don't do anything that a single person looking to get married would do until you got a signed piece of paper. Right? Can I talk about something, Susan? You know, one of our, one of our children, uh, spouse left them. In fact, I was getting ready to speak at a marriage conference. He calls me, my son, and says, she left. It, boy, y'all, I mean, it hit me like a dagger. And it, oh, he was weeping and I was weeping. And Anyway, he got divorced. And this is common knowledge. I don't think it's a big, but anyway, uh, you know, what I really appreciate about him was he acted like he was married until he got that certificate. He was so honorable. He did everything he could. But see, it was beyond his control because somebody else's will was involved. And you can't force a person to do what you want them to do, right? He was very, now you know my son's married. They've been married for years. He's got three children. I mean, a great spouse and life is wonderful. Isn't that great? So do you obey the laws of the land? A hundred percent. Yes, you do. And you need to. Spiritually? Well, really, spiritually, it is what it is, and, and, uh, but you, you, what you do is you live according to the laws of the land with respect to marriage. If you don't, you can get yourself into buku of trouble that you can't get out of. Yes or no? So don't, don't tangle up a problem there. Worse. So anyway, everybody good? Let me see. I'm looking at the time. <laughs> okay. Here's a good one. Uh, <laughs> is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Huh? What you say? No? What? What? They say precursor for. How many think it could be a precursor, preview of things to come? I think it really could be. So you just got to be careful in all this stuff. And you know what? The truth is, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, 1 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. So um, he so wants your uh, relatives to get saved, people you work with to get saved, and people on your street to get born again. That he could delay this thing another 50 years if he wanted to. Yes or no? You know, think about people that lived uh, prior to World War II when Nazism was emerging in Germany and Hitler was coming to power and promising everybody a loaf of bread and everybody's going to just be wonderful and the state's going to take care of you and all that. And uh, everybody's just convinced that he was the Antichrist. Go back and do research. And they were just convinced Jesus come back any moment. And then prophecy preaching, preaching about the second coming of Christ. It got real strong, as I've read, because I wasn't born until after World War II. But, uh, uh, but here we are. We're still here. Could the same thing happen now? That's why you just can't be dogmatic about anything. I preach strong. I've just finished preaching Revelate, the whole book of Revelation. But, you know, it could happen really soon. I think perhaps I have a personal conviction. Maybe we're going that direction sooner rather than later. Could be by the end of the decade. Well, are you ready? But you know what? Because God has such mercy, he could delay it if he wanted to, yes or no. So don't be dogmatic about anything. And COVID-19, yeah, it, it sure is a weird pattern. And it's weird they're trying to force people. And it sure seems totalitarian. And it sure has the smell of the Antichrist spirit on it. But you can't be dogmatic about it, and when you do, you get wrong. 
and you get off, right? So we just have to be careful about things. You know what I found out? People are just really passionate about stuff right now. And, uh, and they're so passionate, they're mean. And if you're so passionate, you're mean, you're just wrong. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So get off Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff and Instagram with all your comments. And just love people. You know, I, I, I read a lot, and, and I, don't like, I don't even post on Facebook much now except Scripture and, you know, have a blog I write and, uh, you know, stuff. But I just don't like Facebook because of what they're doing. They're, they're limiting conversation, and I don't personally like that. But I get on there, and I look, and I've looked at people's comments, and people are getting pretty tired of the whole shmeal right now. Have you noticed? That's what I'm generally seeing. People are tired of what they're hearing. It's time to move on with life. Let's go do something else besides this. And uh, I don't know if we're going to have that opportunity. I hope we do. But if we don't, you know, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Are you? My. I uh, did have one comment from one person that said, I think you took too long to, uh, to preach Revel- the whole book of Revelation. Well, I started in March of 2019, and I just got through last week. Egg on my face. Why did I do that? But what, you know, you read between the lines here. Uh, how many Wednesday nights? Are there? I, I had 38 lessons. Uh, there's a few more than 38 Wednesday nights. Would you agree? Between March 2019 and uh, last Wednesday. So, um, so what did we do? Well, first Wednesday night, we got praise and worship. Generally, before COVID hit, uh, the last Wednesday night, we did teaching on leadership. And then I dedicated, decided to dedicate two Wednesday nights a month to teaching a revelation. So don't bog you down in all this stuff. This is heady stuff, crazy stuff, scary stuff, wild stuff. So I said, well, I, you know, I don't want to choke everybody on it, so let's mix it up. So we, we went for two and a half years. I could have done it every single week. Man, you'd have bogged down, you know, like, Jesus, help me. So we just did it. That's why we did. Does that make sense? That's why I did what I did, good or bad, whether I'm right or wrong. I can get to heaven. Jesus said, you could have done it quicker. I said, I think you're right, and I'm good. <laughs> I did what I did. I'm not ashamed of what I did. I'm glad I'm done, and I'll, hopefully I'll put it into a book. So anyway, I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, then some people think I talk too much about COVID. Well, you know, in the context of everything, I had a comment on here. So let me say this just to make sure I answered all these questions. Um, you know, in this big scheme of things, I preach the, would y'all, do y'all think I preach the word? Do I talk more about politics than the Bible? Are you sure? Are you positive? Have I talked about current events? Okay, if you go look at the time expenditure in any service where I've mentioned COVID-19 or the issues we're dealing with in America, you know, I preach July 4th and July 11th here in this month. And I talked about our nation and the problems we're having and the deception and the delusion, yada, yada. And, and you know, the challenges we're having as a free nation. And then the 11th, I, I talked about some of those things again. Uh, but in the context, but then I'm just talking about the word, really. And then this past Sunday, I took about five to seven minutes and talked about the handout I have for COVID-19 and the other side of the coin that nobody hears about. And, uh, uh, but the, most of the service, did I preach the word last Sunday? So, so make sure if you think that I'm spending all my time doing something, understand I'm, I'm fairly aware of me. I'm open to suggestions, but I think I'm balancing this thing out. Jesus told me to preach the word, not politics. And I think I could stand before him, I think. Challenge me. If you think I'm wrong, I'm good. I think I could stand before him and he'll say, thank you, Mitch. I think. Now, maybe I'll be, I probably won't even say anything. I'm going to hit the dirt and grab his feet and kiss him if he'll let me because I don't have anything to brag about. But I, I, I'm wanting to preach the word. Y'all get that? Anybody got any questions? One question before we go. Anything just biting at you? Y'all so quick. What's that? Where? Yeah. You got to make it quick, because I'm going to be quick. Thank you, Bo. Okay, make it quick now. So in Titus? Titus, okay. Chapter, first, chapter 2. Okay. So, verse 3 says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Okay. Then verse 4 says, Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands, 
and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands mm -hmm. so that no one will malign the word of God. So I was in conversations with a friend of mine. We're talking about a lot, a lot about families raising children these days, and we find out that there's so much uh, emotional weight these mm -hmm. days in families. Yes. And looking at that scripture where it says the younger women to be taught to love their husbands and their children. So to us, it feels like God is putting a responsibility on us, mothers, wives, to be able to put into our husbands and into our children that uh, to fill in that emotional need that they have. But we're also finding out that ourselves as mothers, with this thing that have gone on, we are basically like dry, drained, whatever you want to call it. So when we go to the Lord in our private time, devotional time, we're getting our tank filled, but we're falling short in having enough to keep on giving. So my question to you then is, as a husband, as a pastor, as a man of God, what would you say to us young mothers who are trying to love our husbands and our children, but we ourselves are needing <laughs> to be loved and to be mm -hmm. filled first before we can keep on, because with the children, some of us have more than one. So, so here's what I say. When your ba last baby goes to sleep, get your honey into bed. And then get up with a cup of coffee before they get out of bed. And fill your tank with Jesus first. I've done this all my life. Um, so this is for both male and female. And I understand the female part, what you're saying. And I agree we need to, you know, instill in, our, in the younger women, you know, the idea to take care of their home, their family, and put first things first, yes. Um, but Philippians 4, 6, J.B. Phillips translation. I've lived by this all my life. And, you know... My hair missing is genetic, but it's not because I worried it off. I actually have hair, but now I shave it off because it just looks better than having a bowl, a bowl shape. It. I just don't want that. Some people do. If you like that, Susan wants me to be bald-headed, and I like it, so I'm good. But it's not because I worried myself bald. you get it? So every morning when I get up, I'm not kidding. I've done this since the 80s, early 80s. I spend time with Jesus. And I just pull my heart out. And uh, so don't worry over anything, whatever. J.B. Phillips translation, Philippians 4, 6. I've, I read that in 19, I think first time 1983. And it changed my world. Don't worry over anything, whatever. And then it told me what to do with worry. Tell God every detail of your need in sincere and thankful prayer. So if I got a problem with whatever, I say, Lord, I got a problem with this. If I got a problem with Susan, I say, Lord, we got to talk about Susan. And, and usually he finally says, Mitch, we need to talk about you, you know. And then if I've got a problem with a child on the job, you know, I've been in church work all these years, been in ministry since 1981, 40 years this year. But I've just poured my heart out. Everything that bothers me, don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your need. I pour it out to God. So I would do the same thing with respect to being tired as a, as a woman with small children, lots of responsibility, little time. You know, let's get real. We all feel the pressure of the day. Do you? I mean, it feels weird now. I mean, do you ever long for 219, 2019, 2018, 2010? You ever long for those days? I mean, I just wish you'd just be normal, you know. Just go to a ball game and people aren't fighting, you know. Just come on. But if, so we all have pressure and we all feel it. And, uh, you know, you just have to take, I mean, I feel the same way. I don't like it. And uh, it bothers me. So, see, those bothered, those bothered things I take to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me deal with this. Show me what to do. Give me grace. And then I, I wait on him. I read the word. Read the word. You just fill your t spiritual tank two ways. You fill your heart up. Not by, you know, if you're married, you don't fill your heart up by, by getting all you need met by your spouse. If you're single, you don't get your need met by dating somebody new every other weekend. No, you get your need met and your tank filled and your heart filled up with Jesus by yourself. If we get our tank filled with Jesus by ourselves, life has phases. We've raised four children. It's crazy nuts busy when you got four small kids. We have had them. It's nuts crazy. 
Some of you are in the middle of that. Other people are like me. Now we've got eight grandkids. We love them and let them go home. You know, so, but, but having said that, you know, we have our own stressors and stresses and everybody else. Take it to the Lord and ask God to help. Now, yeah, I don't know how to make it any easier. There's no way to make it easier to live today. It is a challenge. There is pressure. And here's what we all need to guard against. Um, pressure's looking for a vent. So some people vent their pressure by smoking weed. Some people vent their pressure by drinking alcohol. Well, I'm free in the Lord. Yeah, you're going to get bound by alcohol again too if you're not careful. And then some people take over-the-counter medications or prescribe prescription medication and abuse it. And that's their vow. That's their release vow. Uh, other people, they abuse pornography or they binge eat or they binge. Now, you know, a lot of people are binge working out. I've read articles. Now people are working out so much they're hurting their hearts. You can do everything excessively and just not work. It just doesn't work. A good thing, it doesn't become a great thing by doing it too much. Life's balance. So my encouragement for all of us, we just really need to balance life out. Hey, you know, I feel the pressure like you do. And sometimes I just, you know, sometimes I just, just want to go sit down and eat a bag of potato chips. You know, it's like, I know I don't need to, but I sure want to tonight. You know, and so give yourself some grace every once in a while to blur the edge, not in a sinful way, but just to relax. You get it? And, and every day, walk with God. And that's, that's what I do. On my days off, I still get up early. I pray. I seek God. Read my Bible and do stuff. And, you know, uh, I, th- I think the Lord knew that we were the generation going to face the stuff we're facing today. And I think he has the answers for us. What do you think? And so I think, you know, small groups, getting together with people in small groups, coming together in services, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord in your car. And y'all just stay out of sin. If you, if you look for sin as an antidote to pressure, you're going to have so many um, discombobulated areas of life that you won't know how to live right. And some people are falling apart today because they're not handling the pressure well. So, Lord, I just pray for all of us. Would you lift your hands with me as we close? Get a song ready, bro. Lord, thank you for your love and mercy and grace. Don't don't play yet because I got a song. See, I got all these songs that come up. I sing songs to myself with the Lord. And here's one that just comes up. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. (laughs) There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. So Lord, let your grace be on us. We need you today. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. Lord, help us to learn to be quiet. Help us to learn to wait. And for every person in this room and watching in our quiet moments, let that pristine presence invade our angst and produce a pervasive peace. Help us not to try to do all this on our own, sir. Help us not to vent the pressure that we feel in the wrong way. Help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to encourage each other, to call each other, to write letters to each other, to text each other, to email each other, to be with each other. Help us to encourage one another. In his name.